want you to take with me, if you will, your Bibles and go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah the fourth chapter, Nehemiah the fourth chapter this morning. Appreciate everybody being here today. I hope everyone enjoyed their, uh, their Christmas. Some folks are still out celebrating, and so our prayers with them as they travel and as they face the new year. Today I want to talk to you, and I'm going to look here and just kind of cast a vision, if you will, for 2021. Now, I will tell you before I start, I believed like last year, and it was easy enough to, uh, to pray this way, that God in 2020 would give us clear vision. I believe the Lord gave us clear vision in 2020. I just wasn't expecting the means and the methods that would come around and about uh, to bring forth that clear vision. But we see even in the midst of this pandemic, this crisis in our world, it brought some clarity to us, realigned our focus. What we understand is that there uh, is a need for transformation in our world today. I'm not talking about just physical transformation. I'm talking about spiritual transformation. The, the work of the body of Christ has not changed from the very beginning. When the Lord said, this is my church and I will build my house upon this rock, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he meant it. And that foundation still holds sure. One thing I am very thankful for is that the Lord, 2,000 years ago, more than that, he put down his truth in his word. That it doesn't matter where you're sourcing your information from today, could be right, could be wrong, could be somewhere in between. You can rest in the knowledge that God had already foreseen this day. He had already written it down in his book. And we can take confidence knowing that God knows where we're at. He knows what we have need of. And he knows what he wants to do in these days that he's called us to. Don't get all excited when it talks about doing something for the Lord. But what we see and what I believe God for is in 2021, if we will continue on the focus of transformation into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ, I believe that 2021 is going to be the greatest year of harvest that this church has seen. I believe it because we need it more desperately than we've ever needed before. Father, I need your help today. Lord, I need, Lord God, not the enticing words of man's wisdom, but Lord, what we need is the demonstration and the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit today of who we are and whose we are and what we are to be about in these days. I pray for the anointing that crushes yokes, opens blinded eyes, calls deaf ears to hear, Hearts to be softened, Lord God, and strength, Lord God, to the very marrow of our bone. I pray today for your hand in Jesus' name. So I want you to look here in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. I want to begin reading in the first verse. Nehemiah is here. He has surveyed the ruins. He has met, went back after he received the word from those who were in, uh, there building the temple. He got word that the walls were still torn down. He petitioned the king, and now he has gathered the resources. He's gathered a group. He's gone back, and now he's building the walls that have been laying in ruin for, for well on 100 years. So we see here Nehemiah is continually, constantly being resisted when it comes to the, to the work of the kingdom of Israel. Understand, folks, that as we move forward in the things of God, if we're going to build for the kingdom of God, don't take it, don't imagine it'll never be without a battle. There's always a battle. There's always a, an opposition to the work of the kingdom of God. And so as we move forward here, what we see is that the wall was beginning to be built, and now the enemy was really furious over the fact that there was something that someone had taken an interest in Jerusalem to rebuild that city of peace, that holy city that was dedicated to the kingdom of God. Now we, let's take up the story here in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read down to the, to the 15th verse. I want, you to get, I want you to let your mind go here and begin to, begin to envision as Nehemiah is here with the workers. 
It says, but so happened in Nehemiah 4 and 1. But it so happened when Sambalit heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews. He spoke before the brethren of the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I love Nehemiah, man of prayer. Verse 4. Hear, O God, O our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach upon their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. But the people had a mind, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalit, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored and the gaps are being, uh, beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired to come and to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Because the of them we set a watch against them day and night. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Amazing, the devil's still using the same old tactics of fear. Can't you see it? And it was when the Jews were, who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times relentlessly, from whatever place you turn, you will be, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening, and I set people according to their families, their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought this plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Now, I wanted to get to verse 14. I wanted to get down there as I see the wall. As Isaiah 60 and 18 says, Violence shall not be no more heard in the land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and you shall call the gates praise. So we see that wall in the Passion Translation, Psalms 51 and 18. It says, Because you favor Zion... Do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around her. What I see as the wall, as I've looked at this and studied this, and we have, we have preached out of this many of these texts of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my heroes of the faith because he was steadfast. He was a man who, who caught a vision. With that vision, he executed. It wasn't just a dream that he had, but it was a vision God had laid within him. And with that vision, he moved forward. He got the resources together. He got the people together. He went and built the wall of Jerusalem. And amazingly enough, he did it in 52 days. That takes some determination. Something that had laid ruin for 100 years was now being erected and fully intact in 52 days. I believe in these last days, God's going to have a quick work. Amen? I believe the Lord's going to raise up some, some stones that have been cast aside. He's going to take some, start bringing some meaning to some of the rubbish and confusion that's going on in our land. And he's going to begin to bring together that wall of salvation. 
Now, as I look at that wall, I do not want to refute what the scriptures say about the wall. I do believe that it is representation of our relationship with Christ. That in that relationship with Christ, there is salvation. That wall held a, a particular natural meaning for the people. It was, as they looked at the city, that wall was the wall of protection. How many know that you are protected when you're in Christ? That wall set boundaries for the people. They knew that within the confines of that, of those walls, there were boundaries. You could only go so far. They controlled what came into the city and what went out of the city. When Nehemiah heard and was such overly burdened by what he heard, how that the walls had had been torn down, what he knew is that the enemies could come in in any direction to bring destruction. Now, he was working to rebuild those walls and that relationship with Jehovah God. And we rebuild those walls when we step into relationship with God. So there is protection through salvation. There are boundaries that I understand. There's things that I allow in and things that I don't allow in. A man who has no control, as the, as the proverb says, over his own spirit, whosoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down without walls. So you know what the Lord gives us in our salvation? He gives us some self-control. I used to, was, used to be subject to every enemy that would come my way. And I was pretty much defenseless when it came to whatever was thrown at me, whether it be fear or lust or addiction. It was just, I was bombarded. I had no boundaries. I had no self-control. I was a man who did not have a wall around him of protection. But what I also see is that the wall was had within it a vantage point, had a watchtower. So the watchman would not watch in vain if he trusted in the Lord. He could get up, and if you want to see greater distances, you've got to have a greater vantage point. It usually comes with elevation. Sometimes we're missing what God is calling us to do because our vantage point is too low. We need a view from the walls of salvation. See, with that wall of salvation, there comes the favor of the Lord. I don't know where I would be without his favor. I love you and many of you love me only because of the favor of God. God lifted his favor. You might not give to a plug nickel for me. It's true, I know. Understand, when, when we walk in the favor of God, we're walking as we're in relationship with Him, and it's His favor that we desperately need, and it's His favor that I do not want to live without. Let me just give you a practical example. Maybe this will help you in this coming year if you're looking for breakthrough in your finances. See, if I refuse to give God the first portion that rightfully belongs to him, the tithe, what I'm saying is, Lord, I'm going to make it without your favor. I don't need your favor on my finances. I'll take care of it myself. What I've done is I have lifted God's favor off of my finances, and you will never catch up. You'll never be ahead. You will always be behind because what you've done is you've lifted the wall of favor. You've not walked in faith. And now the devourer comes in anytime, anywhere he wants to because you are refusing to live in the favor of God. God's favor is here. God wants to put that favor around you. But he cannot if you do not obey his word. That was about four tithers that just said amen. Because I'm afraid not to tithe. I really am. Not that I'm afraid. I, I don't want to disappoint God, but not only that, I don't want the enemy to have access to the resources that are needed for the kingdom of God. 
nor do I want to become a burden on someone else because I refuse to walk in the blessing and the favor of the Lord. If you refuse to walk in the blessing and the favor of the Lord, you're inviting the devourer and someone has to take up the slack. Let that germinate a little bit in your spirit. That's not the message, but it's a good message. Favor. The favor of the Lord. Now, that vantage point is what I want to kind of get to. And I, I read those, those texts of Scripture, and the Lord allows me the time. I'm going to answer those questions that the enemy asked. I know it was with bitterness they were asking the questions, but, oh, there's with power. God's got the answer. But as you look there, Nehemiah, he said, don't be afraid of the enemies. Hear me, church. Do not be afraid of the enemies this day. Do not be afraid of the enemies. I know that with, with pandemia, there becomes paranoia. I got it. I got it. You cough. Oh, she's got it. They've got it. It's always this guardedness. I, I know, and, and I, don't, I don't understand the reality of it. I don't, I'm not on the left or the right or anywhere in between. I'm not trying to argue the point. I know the, the risks for some are extremely dangerous. I know these things, and I don't take anything from that. But, folks, let me tell you, what's not of God is the fear attached to all of that and the torment that you're living in. In the, the, the life that you are missing out on as a result of that, I, 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 I assure you, as we look at this, we've got to look to God in faith. Amen? So as we look at this, and we see, as Nehemiah said, do not be afraid of them, but you need to stop and remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And then he said, now I want you to fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your families. Fight for your children. Fight for your children's children. Folks, let me encourage you. What Nehemiah was declaring and what he was looking for is to build that wall so that you could have a greater vantage point so that you could understand there is a vision for your life. And when we fight in these days, folks, what we fight against, uh, not flesh and blood, not political parties, uh, not, not anything other than uh, the spirits, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places uh, and the spirits that want to dictate people's behavior and the things that lead them away from God and not to God, uh, the things that defame the love of God uh, to humanity, those are the enemies of the cross. But what Nehemiah is trying to invoke into the children of God is have a vision for your homes and for generations to follow. Now, folks, as we enter into relationship with God, as we enter into relationship with the Lord, you know what the Lord gives us? It endows us with and infuses within us. That's vision. That it's no longer about my four and no more. It's no longer about me, myself, and I. It's no longer exclusively about how the world and the world around me makes me feel. It's a vision that goes beyond me. As a father, as a husband, as a minister, God saves us. And when he sees us, when he looks at us, he is looking to generations to follow. Not just looking at you. He's looking at generations. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He looks to you through the eyes and the lens of generations. And see, what God gives us when he brings us into the kingdom of God, he gives us visions beyond ourselves. Now, if you've never seen beyond yourself, then I, I question whether or not you've ever been saved. Because the Christ that you should be 
becoming more like is the most selfless person that ever walked the face of the earth. He was not interested in being served, but he came to serve. Now, one of two things in my estimation, in my estimation only, if I cannot see beyond myself, then I first off, maybe I've never had a born-again experience. Or number two, maybe I've never matured as a Christian. When all I can see and interested in is how you affect me and I'm not interested in how I affect you. That I'm more interested in me, myself, and I, and I could give the blazes to my, my future generation. When the Lord brought me into the kingdom of God, he drew me with a hunger and a desire to change the outcome of my family, the outcome of my, my, my future generations. In almost the moment that I came into the kingdom of God, God gave me a vision for generations. That I began to pray for, for, for my family that was yet to be in existence. I would pray, I had prayed, and when my grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren and my great-great-great-great-grandchildren and ever descended to follow until Christ comes, when they step out of the womb, they will be welcomed by the prayers that I had prayed for them and that Andrea had prayed for them. They will be welcomed into this world by prayers that will supersede my life and will extend beyond my life. And they will reach down and it will wrap them up like a blanket and they will embrace them in those prayers. My prayer is, is that they will know God and that they will serve God and that their spirit will be filled with God and they will do what God has called them to do. Now I learned that from hearing the stories of Andrea's great grandfather. Her great grandfather Hamilton. He was a man who was a town drunk. He was a man who lived in an unwalled city in his own heart. He was a man who had no rule over himself. Thus, he had no favor, no protection. He was literally the town drunk. Until I came to town, a Pentecostal tent revival. And he stumbled into that, into that tent revival. Gave his heart to the Lord, filled with the Spirit of God. Then he began to lead his family into church. He was a man who was known as a man of prayer. In fact, it was said over and over of him that Grandpa Hamilton, he would pray so much that he would literally wear the knees out of his pants. His wife could not keep enough patches on his knees because he would spend long hours in prayer. And he would be praying, and I'm here today because I'm attached to this lady. And when I attach to this lady, I attach to the prayers of Grandpa Hamilton. And he, I, I walked into the kingdom of God because this man, prayer superseded because he was reaching through eternity as he was praying. I said, Lord, I want that for future generations. And I refuse to allow my children, my grandchildren, my son-in-laws, any person attached to this family, you will be filled with the Spirit. You will be introduced and you will pray and otherwise I'm going to take you out. Get it right or we're going to get you gone. <laughs> I thank God that the Lord has blessed me with two great son-in-laws who love the Lord. One day I'll have a daughter-in-law and she'll love the Lord. He's not making any plans right now, so don't, don't bug him about it. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying. Grandpa Hamilton, Uncle Andy, who was also very influential in my life, he would tell me that he'd go out there and sneak up on Grandpa Hamilton out there praying in the field. And Grandpa Hamilton wouldn't even know he was, he was, he was behind him. And he'd say, Andy, get off that horse and get on your knees, boy, we're praying. He said he would pray over meals, and he'd get so caught up in, in talking to Jesus, his best friend, that the meal would long since get cold. 
because he wanted to talk to the Lord. He would travel in the days where it was okay to hitchhike. He would travel in the summer times. He would travel and he would go and he would preach revivals. In fact, he was in a revival. He was headed to a revival, and he had hitchhiked out in the panhandle of West Texas, if I got the story right. And as he's in the panhandle of West Texas, he overheated, ended up at a, at a family's house where he was to stay before the, before the camp meeting. He said, so he said, Brother Hamilton, are you okay? He said, I'll be all right if you just go get me a glass of water. He was scheduled, I think, to preach that night. She went and got him a glass of water, and he made his home going. He went home to be with the Lord. Oh, I've got some few other stories, but I won't share that about Brother Hamilton right now. In fact, this one last one I'll share with you, and I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> he was such a, I could see it, I could see it, a family trait, I could see it. He was a very determined individual. He felt led to the Lord that God was calling to, to preach a, a message at this particular church, and the pastor's like, no, we're not Pentecostals, we don't, we don't, we don't need that kind of stuff in here right now. So he said, well, I just I don't want to share a word and kept refusing. Brother Hamilton shows up to the church and that pastor made a mistake of having a testimony service. So he testified for about a half hour about the power of Pentecost. Don't do that in here. But anyway, <laughs> I was literally reluctant to share that. <laughs> Well, preacher, you told us we could. No, I did not. <laughs> not preach about Pentecost, but take up 30 minutes in a testimony. Danny, well, let's move on. Fight for your brothers, your sisters. Daddies, fight for your kids. Granddaddy, fight for your kids, your grandkids. If you're not going to pray for them, who's going to? Where there is no vision people perish. Happy is the one that keeps the law. Where there is no revelation of Jesus Christ, people lose restraints. If we become so self-absorbed, so self-absorbed, and all we can see is how things pertain to our little world, we lose our vision. People perish. If we're in a state of mind where it's only about me, 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 me. Am I being validated? Am I being respected? Am I being elevated? Am I respected? When, if I get to that place, is it, is it going to mess with my routine? Is it going to stop me from what I, I want to do? And I question, do you have a vision for your children and your children's children? Because vision will cause you to keep the law. Vision will cause you to keep the word of God. Vision will cause not the perishing, but the flourishing of your family. Gotta have a vision for future generations. I don't have children, but let me tell you, you've got spiritual children that you should be bringing into the kingdom of God. We need some mothers and fathers in Israel again. And if we stayed in those walled cities pushing people out, we need to get back to the place where we open the doors and say, oh my God, let them come in, Lord God, by the droves. We need to see people saved. You're not fight. Will you not fight for your family? God's plea, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Folks, we need an anointing. That'll cause an anointing like Ananias that would lay hands upon the paws and see the scales fall off. We need a last day anointing that'll cause people to have vision, not just for themselves, but for their family and for their extended family, for generations that are yet to step into this world. Oh, my God, give us some fathers in Israel that say, oh, I don't know if everything is my flavor in the house of God. This may not be the music preference that I have. 
But let me tell you one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to hold on to God. If it gets too loud, I'm going to put earplugs in. If it gets too soft, then I'm going to move in a little closer. But one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray till the next generation comes. And the next generation comes. And I'm going to keep praying. Oh, God, give us vision. Give us vision. Give us vision. That goes beyond ourselves. Vision. Hope. God will do what God says he'll do. As we were in prayer yesterday, the Lord spoke to me out of Habakkuk 2, 1 and 4. Says, I will stand my watch and set myself. Didn't say I was going to set the church. Didn't say I was going to set my political party. Didn't say I was going to set the preacher, the deacon board, or the teacher. Habakkuk said, I'm going to set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he, the Lord, will say to me. What I will answer when I'm corrected. I like that, don't you? Habakkuk said, I don't have all the answers and my heart's not right. I don't even know my heart. What I do know is I'm not seeing things the way I need to see them. So I'm going to set myself and I'm going to see what God wants to say to me. If the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain that he may run that reads it. This is what's going to happen in this service today. Before you leave here, and this is what the Lord promised. He said, I'm going to give vision to the runners. He's not going to give visions to the setters. You hear me? He's going to give vision to the runners. He's not going to give the one vision to the, to the sons of Jesse's that stay at home, that, that want to be anointed king. He's going to give vision to the one out in the field doing the work. If you want vision, you've got to be a runner. You got to be the one that runs, and it needs to be so plain that when you run by it, you can see it. It's a billboard presentation. You don't have to question it. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be difficult, but it is profound. And this is the vision that the Lord has given us: uh, is Jesus. And if you didn't get it, here it is, Jesus. And if you didn't get that one, uh, here it is. It's Jesus. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. That Jesus is the answer to all the the problems that you have, all the questions that you have. It is Jesus. Jesus is here. He's the healer. He's the healing. He is the protector. He is the protection. He is the, he is the, the passion giver. He is our passion. He is the fullness of God, head bodily, and we are complete. He is our completeness. He is everything that we need. The vision is Jesus. And I just believe that there's a few folks that are ready to run. You got some running shoes for Christmas. And you're like, I'm ready to run this thing out. I'm tired of sitting. I want to run with whatever it is that God has given me because I have counted him faithful and that he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I just believe I'm talking to some folks that are wanting to run in such a way that they want to obtain the prize of Christ. And there's God has promised if you're willing to run, I'm willing to give you vision. And you will have a vision if you are running. Y'all got a quick 10 minutes? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Don't make me resort to begging. I'm a horrible beggar. Simple vision is Jesus. There were five questions asked by the enemy to condemn the children of Israel, to stop them from doing the work of the kingdom. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? What are these weak Jews doing? What can the church do 
in her weakness. The enemy is looking at you and he's, he's probed this question to you. What are you going to do? You're too weak to do anything. You're too hemmed in and constrained. You, you're weak. But oh, I would remind you what the word of the Lord tells us. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and needs, and persecution, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, what is this church going to do in these last days with all this weakness? We're going to be strong in the Lord. We're going to see the grace of God flow like he's never flown before. I believe God is going to move. Will they fortify themselves? In other words, can they protect themselves against whatever it is that the enemy wants to bring against us? But I declare to you today, this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust him. This is not my work. It's his work. It's not your work. It's his work. How are you going to overcome that addiction in your heart and in your mind? You're not going to do it with your strength. You're going to do it with the strength of the Lord. You're not going to have to protect yourself anymore. God is your protection. He's your armor. He's your guard. He's going to take care of you. You don't understand. I'm on the brink of death. Let me tell you, as a child of God, death is not a, an end or a, or a victory for the enemy. It is a validation. It is a homegoing. It is the ultimate prize. I'm scared of the heaven that God is wanting to take me to. I'm scared of that God is going to call me out to go be in his glorious presence forever and ever and ever and ever. Scare me to death. Will they offer sacrifice? In other words, will they be able to worship God at the end and to dedicate the work to him? See, that's what he's asking in that question. Will they be able to build this wall and to dedicate it to the Lord? But what the devil doesn't want you to understand is that we're not working to victory. We're working from, from victory. We are not working to finish a work. We're working from the finished work of Christ. That all we have need of has been accomplished in Christ. We just receive it. And our mission now is to convey a message to the world and to our children and generations to follow is that the completed work of Christ, that you can worship him now because he's done everything and it's the hardest concept to grasp as a child of God. But if you will continue to pursue, I assure you that you don't need not offer anything but the offering of praise to the Lord because the work is finished will they complete it in a day now the older I get I have to ask myself these questions as well in other words do they have the strength enough to make it to the end of the day anybody ever judge your day according to your strength level <laughs> according to your energy level there's a lot you want to do, but there's lots you don't do because I just believe in these last days that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God gives me the strength, I can make the journey. I love the story of Elijah when he's on the, the mount and he sends his servant out and he says, it's going to rain and go look at the sea and sends him once and twice and up to seven times and finally there's a cloud that's rising up out of the sea and he said, all right, we got to get down and we got to make a run for it because there, I hear the sound before there was a sound made. I hear the sound of abundance of rain and now he, tells, he told Ahab that and Ahab was in the chariot and now here is Elijah and he runs, not a sprint, but a marathon. 
marathon. He ran from where he was at 20 miles at better than chariot pace. And I'm sure anybody in this room that just had to take off, bolt out the door, and take off running 20 miles, and he did it at chariot pace, and he made it there before Ahab. Let me tell you, the race we're in, it's not a sprint. It is an endurance race. It is the ultimate race. And the race that we're running, if we are not able to keep up with the footman, how are we going to keep up with the horsemen? God has got a strength for the children of God if we will tap into the fact that we are living for Christ and that though we do not have the energy in ourselves, if we will wait upon the Lord, he's going to renew our strength. He's going to renew it. One last thing. You got time for one last thing? Thank you. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? And he adds these four words. Stones that are burned. Rubbish representing dreams, passion, people, purpose. How many know that stones don't burn? Wood does. See, the enemy came in and he set the wooden gates, the wooden structures that was holding the wall together. He set those on fire. Why? Because he knew if he could set the wood on fire and destroy the wood, there'd be no more wall. See, if he can remove the cross out of your life fires of affliction fires of compromise he can tear down the wall that's around you will they be able to take that ruin put them in place I say to you, yes. It's time we put the cross back into Christianity. The cross that doesn't lead people in their sin, but delivers them out of their sin. And when you do that, you'll have the favor of God. You'll have the protection of God. You'll have individuals who will set their own boundaries. You don't have to clean them up. That's God's business. He'll take care of that. I'm not going to give you a list of rules. In fact, if you're a foul-mouthed cusser, I'd rather you go ahead and foul-mouthed cuss because I cannot gauge your progress if you cover it up when you get around me. If you're a low-down, rotten, no-good stink, just be a no-good, low-down, rotten stink. And whenever God gets a hold of you, he'll wholly baptize you, maybe put you on a rub board or two and straighten your heart out. I have no interest in cleaning people up with religion. I want the Word of God to bathe you. And when you're bathed by the Word of God and your mind's bathed by the Word of God, then you will be changed. And I won't have to ask whether the fire's burning at the altar. I'm going to know when I look in your eyes, when I hear your voice, when I see you. Homosexuality does not frighten me. Lesbianism does not frighten me. Atheism does not frighten me. What frightens me, folks, is to miss the call of God. Let them come on in and let the power of God reach down and cause their lives to be disrupted. Bring us the addicts. Bring us those who are bound in sin. And let the power of the living God change them. Every time I've ever thought about the unreachable, God reminds me, I got you, didn't I? I got you. If I can get you, I can get most all the rest of them. He got Paul. He got you. You're the biggest stinker of them all. <laughs> Need some bathing going on in here. Folks, we need the cross, the message of Christ.
Dads, I want to see your children flourish. Moms, I want to see you smile on your face. Children, I want to see you filled with such passion and dreams for what God has in store. I want to see this house flooding to overflowing. I want to see as reports have come in over and over and over again of people whose body. Loopy had to get up and leave this morning because she was coughing. She's got lung cancer. It's terminal. She's not going to make it without God's help. We need some people that will fight for her in prayer. Philena fell yesterday, one of our great ladies of God. Broke her nose and her cheek. Trying to catch herself. and She said the concrete one. We need people to pray that our elderly will stay safe. I told you this COVID, it's, it's real to so many that are in here. It's attacked people we love. And I, they wouldn't be here today without your prayers. We don't underestimate any of this. But what I'm saying to you is that if we don't pray for one another, intercede and cry out to God, there's some people that are not going to make it. Kenny Murdoch. Melanoma, tumor. Linda, another tumor. I could go on and on and on. We need some folks that will say it's not just about me. It's about the plan and the purpose of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to ask you to do something from the 2nd to the 22nd of this coming year. We're going to dedicate that time for prayer and fasting. You can do a Daniel fast. You can do an absent fast. Some of you can fast Facebook. I don't care what you do. What I mean by that is not sarcasm. What I mean by that, let me get my pastor voice back on. You choose your sacrifice. Well, it's not a fast unless you just drink water. Well, then you, that's what you choose. But I want you to dedicate the 2nd to the 22nd to intercede and to cry out and to say, God, let this be a year of harvest, 2021. Bring the body of Christ in such unification that, Lord, the power of God may flow through each other's. And if you don't pray for future generations, I want you to start today and start praying for not only your children, but your great, 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 greats. Every person that will be born into this world until Christ comes through you. Could you pray with me that way? How many would commit from the 2nd to the 22nd? I'm, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm not going to take record. I'm going to let heaven take record. How many from the 2nd to the 22nd will spend some time, some measure, either day, two, three, all of it, to fasting and prayer? That's enough to move hell completely out of the way. Come on. we got to get it and get it together. I want you to stand. Worship team, come, if you will. Isaiah 58 and 12 says this, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I've read that, preached it, but let me tell you, I took note this morning. Those from among you, the ones that shall build, is Christ in us. Because it says in capital letters, you, speaking of Christ, shall be called the repairer of the breach. Who repairs the breach that's in our life? Christ. The restorer of streets to dwell in. 
Christ. How do we build? We do so through Christ. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to ask you today, just whether you agree or not, would you just do this? It, it won't kill you. Would you just lift your hands? Just lift your hands. You can pray this prayer if you want to pray this prayer. Everybody, just lift your hands and say, Lord, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender to your call. Lord, we pray for the full benefit of the wall, of salvation around our life, that our families may be protected, that, Lord, we will be have the discipline of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to set boundaries. And Lord, we pray today that there would be such a vision, Lord God, as a result, Lord God, of the scales falling from our eyes. Now, Father, I pray, Lord God, for this people that you have called us to. I pray, Father, for the generation and the time and space in which you've called us to. Lord, I'm asking today, Almighty God, that Lord, 2021, Lord, Lord, I just got a sense in my spirit, Lord God. I just, got a, I just got a knowing in my knower, Lord God, that, Lord, 2021 is going to be a year of harvest, Lord. Lord, what I'm asking, Almighty God, is that you will step through us and use us and be the God in us that you so long, Lord God, to be, and that we would be the church, Lord God, founded upon the knowledge and the rock of Jesus Christ, and that, Lord God, that our sons and our daughters, Lord God, and our grandchildren and every generation to follow, Lord God, May look back, Lord God, and have stories, Lord, just like I have before generations past, Lord God, of a great-grandfather who, Lord God, whose prayers are still going forward, whose ministry is still carrying forward. Lord, I ask in your name that these prayers that we pray today in these coming weeks and coming days, Lord God, let them reach well beyond us. So many that are hopeless today, so many that are in despair today, that need the touch of your hand. Father's asking for it right now. Lord, give me a vision for my family. Mother's asking it right now. Lord, give me a vision for my family. Don't waller in the mistakes. Don't waller in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the brokenness of what you've done. You did it because you trusted in yourself. Now do it because you trust in God. Lean to him. Lean into God and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to repair. I'm going to trust you, Lord God, to fix. Father, we ask it in your name. We ask for a harvest of souls, God. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Make it personal now. Lord, give me vision. Give me vision. Give me vision, Lord God. Give me vision, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your attentiveness and your faithfulness.